Hey, everybody, it's Preston here. Hey, guys, it's Clay. Before the show starts today, we want to tell you really quickly about this very cool challenge that we have coming up for listeners of Freelance to Founder. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Something we've never done before. Never done it, but man, I feel like there's a huge need for it because we get on these calls with people and one of the most common things we hear from freelancers is how do I build in recurring revenue? How do I get predictable money every month, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's a big question that we always, uh, I always get. I know you always get. That's right. And so Clay, you guys know from listening to the show, Clay ran an agency that that crushed it on recurring revenue. I've built a couple of recurring revenue businesses myself, and we want to help you kickstart your own recurring revenue. 2021 is going to be your year for recurring revenue. So we're launching a five-day challenge where you can set up your first productized service. Yeah, and that's going to be five days that we're going to show you how to do it, going to give you a little bit of homework, and hopefully at the end of the five days, you'll have a plan to make uh, hopefully thousands of dollars in monthly recurring revenue. For example, in this challenge, we're going to teach you how to price your service product so that it makes sense to your clients and you can start making money fast. And we're actually going to show you how to make an irresistible monthly offer that your clients cannot resist. There'll be live calls with me and Clay. We're, We're super excited to connect with some of you who maybe are too shy to come on the show and have us highlight your business. These are private live calls with a small group. In fact, we're only letting in like 25 or so freelancers right now. So, I mean, to give you an idea, there are 10,000 people that are going to listen to this episode alone that you're listening to right now. So you don't want to wait. If you want to sign up, you can visit freelancetofounder.com slash challenge and claim your spot right now. All right, guys, we're serious about this. Please don't procrastinate. You will regret it. And like, you want to be a part of the first 25 OG original members of this five-day challenge (laughs) because it's going to be the first 25 that are going to be so ahead of the game. Listeners of Freelance to Founder can save 30% on this challenge with promo code podcast. So again, visit freelancetofounder.com slash challenge. Enter the promo code podcast when you sign up and you'll save 30% right away. They're going to go fast, you guys. Don't wait. (laughs) So many freelancers want to figure this recurring revenue thing out. And genuinely, we just hope you're one of them and that you'll join us for this fun challenge. Uh, Thanks so much for indulging us. And now on to this week's episode of Freelance to Founder. Hey everyone, I'm Preston Lee. And I'm Clay Mosley. And this is Freelance to Founder. Every week we sit down with freelancers like you for actionable coaching calls with one mission. To help you ditch the feast famine lifestyle and build your own sustainable business. At one point, we were both brand new freelancers, barely making ends meet. But by now, we've started, grown, and even sold a few businesses of our own. And we want to help you do the same. If you're ready to go from freelance to founder, then join the army of freelancers who are taking matters into their own hands. Visit freelancetofounder.com to apply for your own on-air coaching call. And now, get ready to take some notes because an all-new episode of Freelance to Founder starts right now. On today's episode, we chat with Chase. He's a co-founder at a company called Electric Eye. They help direct-to-consumer Shopify brands make more money. It's pretty simple. And like Clay and me, Chase started out as a freelancer. But over the last five years, he and his business partner have grown their agency to eight employees, hiring four of them in just the last year during coronavirus. In this conversation with Chase, the three of us talk about all the little tips and tricks we wish we had known about when we were making the transition from freelancer to founder. We cover everything from hiring the right people to when you should niche down, fighting imposter syndrome, onboarding clients, sending gifts to clients, fixing major screw-ups, and lots more. 
It's a jam-packed episode and a must-listen for anyone who wants to know what it's really like to transition from freelancer to founder. We'll get started right after this. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Freelance to Founder. As always, I'm joined uh, by my friend Clay Mosley from Dripify. Hey, Clay, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you doing? Good, man. Thank you. And we're joined also today by our new friend Chase. We're going to chat about his business a bit today. Hi, Chase. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. Uh, I'm excited to hear a little bit more about what you're working on. Why don't you start off by telling us, telling the listeners, a little bit about your business and what you're currently working on, where, are you, where you're at. Yeah, sounds great. So uh, my name's Chase Clymer. I'm one of the founders of Electric Eye. We're a Shopify agency uh, helping D2C brands make more money, essentially. So we're building sexy, powerful websites and helping them market it at the end of the day. Uh, we've been doing this for about five years now. The team has doubled in size this year. Uh, you know, So definitely more on the founder side of things these days, but it's been a lot of fun. And tell us how did it how did it get started? Like you say, five years ago, uh, you kicked this thing off. Was it you and one other person? Was it you and a small team? Was it just you? Like, what did that look like? Uh, yeah, it's. I, I think it's the way that a lot of agencies start, which is like on accident and out of like necessity. Our clients were like, <laughs> "Yeah, that who? sounds like that sounds like me." <laughs> yeah, it's like, who do I make the checkout to? And then we were like, "What are taxes?" Uh, so that's kind of how it started. It was, <laughs> right. it was me and my partner. Uh, we were tackling a bunch of stuff, kind of freelance together. He had just exited uh, a big clothing brand from where we're from, uh, and he was doing everything wrong. Uh, and I'd been freelancing forever, so I kind of like had I was helping him out, showing him the ropes. Uh, and then we were tackling these projects together. And next thing you know, we had a business. I love that. How long were you freelancing then before you two started this business together? Oh man, I've been freelancing forever. Like I hated having a real job. Uh, on, I think like. I was like doing photo shoots for bands back when I was like 16. So I've always been a hustler. Uh, But yeah, it started getting closer to the money, learning marketing, learning, uh, you know, web dev and design and optimization. uh, And it kind of just naturally evolved into this. At one point, I was actually terrified of e-commerce just because like I felt like if I screwed something up, it'd like ruin their money. Uh, But then (laughs) then I found Shopify and realized it was like pretty hard for me to break that stuff. And then we just dove all in. How did you go? How did you go? I'm just very curious. How did you go from photo shoots with bands to this, to like <laughs> e-com? Like I, to me, that sounds like a lot of fun, right? Like, how did you okay, go from well, that? I mean, I was also in a band, and that didn't pay the bills. At oh, all. that makes sense. <laughs> so I had to learn something on the road. So I was like doing. Uh, I mean, I was like doing magazine layouts. I was doing web stuff. I was doing MySpace templates, like way back in the day when that was a thing. MySpace. Um, yeah, but once the band broke up, I kind of did a, an assessment and I was like, you know, I'm making most of my money over here doing this freelance stuff, digital and all that jazz. So I'm just going to focus my energy here. Uh, it was a pretty good decision. Yeah. What year was that? Uh, Probably 2014. Okay. Sounds like it's been a really fun ride. <laughs> yeah, I can't complain. So so now today you say your team recently doubled in size. Like how many how many people are working in your agency? 
Uh, we are a team of eight now, uh, and we were four before that. Uh, and we actually doubled during the pandemic, which was extremely terrifying. I bet. Terrifying? Like, what, wait, you doubled, you doubled during the pandemic and then uh, terrifying just because you feel like you couldn't, like, handle the business no, I mean, in? just as a as a founder, like it's I'm paying, I'm you know, unfortunately, and it, it's not not selfishly or anything. It's like I'm paying these guys bills, their mortgages, their families. You know, they're relying on this money, and it's 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 sometimes scary to like think of how much control falls on you, the burden of like having to you know, oh yeah support these people's lives. That's the terrifying thing. I love working. Our team, yeah, great, it's really fun, and we we did have the projects to support the growth, but it you know it's just sometimes it's scary when you think about it from that angle. You know, it's so funny. I was talking to my wife the other day um, and I said, I, I was like, man, it, it's it's crazy where you get to that point. And I, I got to that point with my agency that I had before where it's like, OK, we started out, you know, it's just me. Then I started hiring employees and, and just naturally I just I was just hiring like people who were younger um, and and then they started having babies. Right. And it's like, Oh, like this stuff just got real. Right? It's like now I'm supporting families, right? Not just like young single people. So it's like I 100% get that, get that point for sure. Yeah, we're pretty transparent with the team uh, to the point where uh, during a monthly kind of KPI reviews, we like tell them what the runway is. Cool. Yeah, I like the transparency. That's good. Yeah, yeah I did the same thing with mine. I love that approach. It's it's interesting. We you know we talk all the time about all the sexy uh, elements of being a founder, right? But there are definitely there there can be a lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety that you don't face as a single freelancer, or even a freelancer working with maybe a couple of collaborators or subcontractors or something like. It's a whole new level when you finally reach that actual founder status and you have full time employees. Uh, it's it's a different level of pressure that that people maybe don't expect. And if they don't see it coming, it can debilitate them in some ways. Yeah, completely. And it's a big shift going from you're not necessarily you shouldn't be their friend anymore. In a sense, like you have to be decisive and you need to make you need to make up your mind and you need to like fail fast, essentially. But it, it like I'm, I'm friendly with everybody. Like we are friends in a sense. But I guess what I'm trying to say here is like you got to start to separate it and understand it's like, this is a business decision. I'm curious though, in five years, have you had to fire somebody yet? Uh, yeah. And I, you know, to be honest, it was probably my fault. It was a bad fit. We hired for the wrong thing or we didn't set proper mm. expectations. Uh, yeah. most of the time when you have to fire someone, uh, you probably did a terrible job in like the hiring process. The hiring. Yeah. Okay, I was just you know I, like, this just shows how good of a leader you are. Like it's no wonder yeah. you're transparent with your team. It's no wonder your company is growing because a lot of people could say, yeah, that person was a piece of garbage. They couldn't get done what we asked them to get, do- get done, you know, but you're taking full responsibility for it, saying it was probably my fault. I could have done better at this, that. I, I think that's a total winning attitude for a, a leader of any, a company of any size. Thanks. Uh, yeah, great. I agree. So I, I want to I find out actually how you decided to hire your first. I'm jumping all around here now, but I'm, I think you have a good story to share with people. And, and this is a side of, of the freelance to founder scale we don't get to you know, dive into all too often. Quite often, we get guests on the show who are still very much freelancers, haven't hired anyone, they're scared to hire. I, what advice would you give to someone who's, who wants to hire, but, but that just like terrifies them? I mean, you've now got a, a small team, uh, full-time employees, and, 
and some people can't even pull the trigger on like hiring a contractor. What's how, I guess, emotionally do you get over that first hurdle of hiring someone? Uh, you just got to do it. And then the best part is when you make the right hire and especially like when it hurts, you realize that you're like, I should have done this months ago, years ago. Um, for us, our, I had a business partner and, uh, we were kind of terrible at the beginning. Like, uh, something we learned pretty quickly is when two people are responsible for one thing, it's never going to get done. Uh, so we quickly, <laughs> we quickly had to establish some swim lanes. Uh, and it, the division of power went to, Essentially, I was responsible for sales and marketing, and he was responsible for operations and delivery. Um, there's obviously a bunch more hats to wear, but that was like the quickest way to kind of divide it. Um, and when it got to the point where we were selling more than we can deliver, uh, the first hire we made was a project manager, um, which uh, he still works for us, and he was the best hire ever. And how did you go about finding the best hire ever? I mean, that's, I think, what a lot of people are afraid of. We hear all the time from people that we have on our coaching calls. It's like, well, what if I hire someone and they totally mess up everything I've built or uh, can't, you know, can't deliver what they say they can deliver? How do you how do you find that right first person? I'll answer your question and then I'll tell you how we found ours. So the question is, how do you hire someone good that's not going to screw up or suck? It's ask your network, ask your ask other agencies that, you know, ask your clients, be like, I'm looking to fill this job. Ask people. Referrals are, are great. That's how we've gotten most of our employees are from referrals, actually. Only one did we actually put a job uh, position out there. The rest of them we hired through referrals. Uh, but we got Andy uh, because he sat next to Sean in elementary school. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, they both, they both, they both worked at uh, the clothing brand together, and uh, he was a production manager there. So it was a quick shift over to project management. <laughs> hey, what are, what are your qualifications? Oh, I sat next to him in elementary school. <laughs> All right, you're hired. You're hired. Yeah. Yeah. He came on to help just part time. It was like, dude, we just got some like things that need to get done. Can you help us out? And he came on part time uh, and we never stopped paying him. <laughs> he's been here forever. Very nice. Is he full is he full time now? Like is yeah, most he's of full, he's full time now. Yeah. Everyone it, it's you know, we what was it like two years ago we made the switch to like like be official full time, W twos, insurance, all that jazz. That's a big undertaking in and of itself there as well yeah i'm sure i mean that's that's another leap way far ahead of where a lot of our listeners are at in terms of making the first hire or, or second or third hire or you know hiring subcontractors like that's a whole whole different level of of running a, your own company yeah for a while it was just like hey here's an agreed upon rate and we're just like cool we're gonna set up some automatic yeah. tank transfers and, and and uh i guess how did you know it was time to make that leap then um it was like uh it had to do with insurance honestly like uh, all of us were like i hate paying for this and can we get it cheaper and surprisingly we actually got a pretty good deal once we like went the official route so i was very excited about that you're talking about like group insurance yes uh, oh okay I mean, this is very Ohio specific, but what we did was we uh, had to join a chamber of commerce here in Ohio, and that gave us access to an Ohio group, and we oh, have an nice. awesome deal on insurance. Nice. I, I do have a question. So, like, you said your first hire was a project manager, right? Yes. So, I, I'm i curious, why did you decide to hire that role versus another role? Because, like, you hear this all the time. Um, some people say, okay, the first thing you need to hire is a personal, like a, an executive assistant or, or something else. Like, why did you decide to hire a project manager? 
Uh, it was just we were selling stuff and we needed to make sure they were getting done and we needed someone to kind of own that element of the business. Like this is what was sold, make sure it gets done. Uh, and so that's kind of where Andy stepped in to take care of that. Um, it's funny you say that they say the first hire should be an assistant. I've, you know, if you're going the agency route, I've actually read a bit online that the first hire should be a project manager, but we had no idea back then. It, we just happened to do it. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, having someone whose uh, sole responsibility is making sure stuff gets done is definitely a, a pivotal piece of the puzzle. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I think that's really interesting as well. My first hire was definitely like a project manager role. It, it was like, look, we're doing so well in certain aspects, uh, but I can't keep up with it all. And I need you to keep me accountable. And I also need you to keep all the third parties accountable so that things can just keep moving forward. Like I, I actually still have most of my team like keeps me accountable as opposed to the other way around so that I can, so that the stuff can keep moving forward and, it's kind of nice because then I can be a little more hands-off with important details and, and they who are way better at that and I'm better at sales and marketing and uh, product development and stuff like that. I can handle that. They can handle all the day-to-day, -day, like the details and the timing and the deadlines that I tend to not be as good at. Oh, absolutely. And there's another thing here that it's probably something people are thinking about. It's like, well, I just make sure stuff gets done and that's all well and fine. But like if someone isn't also responsible for sales and marketing. If you don't have a pipeline and you're not constantly selling, your agency is going to go belly up before you know it. Yeah. And that's why we made that decision early on that that was what I do. So that's literally all I do is sales and marketing for the agency. Make sure that there's new stuff coming in the door, trying to re-engage old leads and prospects. And just, you, you got to be selling. Um, had a conversation with a mentor early on. And he asked a specific question. He was like, what's the percentage of time that you are dedicating to sales and marketing versus like production? And I was like, oh, probably like 30% of my time. And he's told me point blank, if we didn't flip that equation, we wouldn't be an agency in a year. So took it hard. Mm. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. Clay wasn't one of your first hires in sales? Or like your, um, your, like, your like partner, I guess, right? Didn't, didn't she come? Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, it was, it was a weird thing. Um, I, cause I, I was doing the, I was doing the project stuff, right? Cause like I was, I was the, the web guy. I was the website guy. Um, so I, so she was doing sales for another agency. And so, um, yeah, I hired her to do the sales. Um, but then like, it's just, we didn't do this on purpose. It just happened, uh, organically just, uh, where the role switched where I say switched, they changed. So I moved into a more of a sales and marketing role. And then she, she didn't, she didn't move into like a website development role, but she moved into a, uh, like a COO uh, operations role. So it was just like, um, yeah, it was kind of funny how that happened. But yeah, that's the way it happened for us. Uh, but we, yeah, have this, evolve. we have this <laughs> conversation uh, so often with freelancers where it's like the reason you're suffering from the feast famine cycle is because during the feast, you're not thinking about the famine. It's so easy during the famine to be thinking like, where's the next project coming from? But when, when you're in the feast, you also need to be thinking, where's the next project coming from? And I think maybe, Chase, that's what oh, you're yeah. getting at is like, you have to be selling all the time. It doesn't matter if you're an agency or if you're a freelancer. If you're not devoting time to selling all the time, marketing yourself all the time, uh, getting new business, filling your pipeline all the time, then you will fizzle out. You will deal with the feast famine cycle and it'll be impossible to scale your business. 
That is 100% true. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people calling with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs, and did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Okay, so I think that was a great uh, little conversation on hiring. I, you know, we, we tend to talk about hiring a lot on this show. It's such a critical piece of scaling your business. You can only scale so far with your own with your own bandwidth, your own hours, and your own talents, and those kinds of things. But I, I want to make sure the episode's not entirely solely focused on hiring. Chase, what else do you think we should be sharing with our listeners who want to go from uh, a freelancer to maybe building more of an agency like yours? Oh man, there's so much to it. Uh, but I would definitely, you know, it's sometimes you need to hear the same things over and over. But niching down is so critical. You cannot be a generalist. Okay, tell us more about that. What what's been your experience? Uh well, as I said before, we are, you know, we're in the direct to consumer e-commerce space. We only deal with Shopify. Like that's kind of the space that we play in. Uh but we have two parts of our company, right? We've got the design dev side of it where we're making beautiful websites, and then we've got the marketing side where we are, you know, growing people's businesses. If I could go back in time, I would probably have just picked one. But we're here now, we have processes and we are growing steadily on both sides of it. And I am the kind of person where I like to do different things. It would get a little stale if we didn't do it this way. Uh, but you know, if I could tell myself before, I'd probably pick an even more streamlined niche offering for, for what we were doing as a business. And why do you say that? Why would you, why would you niche down even, even more than you have? Because I mean, arguably, like niching down to just like the Shopify space or something like that is pretty 
pretty narrow already. Why would you go even further? Uh, because people still come to us and ask what we do, and it's because we do both. So it's in the marketing, it's reflected. You know, you have to kind of have come up with two two angles and two messages there. Um, it, it's just, and then it goes to the process element of it, which is critical to scaling a business is process. And it is, you know, if you're not thinking about it from day one, like you need to start thinking about it. And like, it can be as simple as like writing down the one, two, threes in a Google doc and like trying to get it off your plate. But without those things in place, you don't have a repeatable process. A, you're not going to deliver a good work product. B, you're not going to be able to get it off your plate. You're going to have to keep doing it because it lives in your head. But C, and this is something that most people don't realize is like, that's what clients want is they want a really strong process. They want to know it's going to get done. They want to know that it's been done before and it got good results. I, I have my opinion on n- niching down. Um, and not that I'm disagreeing with you at all. Uh, I do agree with you. But how would you, uh, how would you tell someone to, to actually choose a niche, right? Like uh, to get to that point, like uh, because I, I see it quite often where someone just right out of the gate chooses a niche and can't make it work. So like, what's your take on that? Yeah, I agree. So before, before you answer, Chase, I agree. I want to add, like, I think people sometimes hear this advice of niching down and they, and they do it too early. And they're like, I refuse to accept jobs unless they meet these very specific requirements. And they're freelancers barely making ends meet or they're side hustlers or something. And so they never get enough financial uh, traction to really make progress. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm curious too. What's what's your take on the right timing for for niching down? I mean, that's that's yeah, that's a great question. And and it, the the truth is, is do not do it immediately. Absolutely not. You need to get your bills paid. You need to kind of uh, it's it's like going to a buffet. You got to try everything, see what you like, and you see if things start coming back. If you <laughs> find a that you're really good at building these websites for for service businesses, and you, you cannot, you know, you can you niche down slowly. And more and more of a percentage of your, uh, you know, clientele becomes in the same wheelhouse. And that's kind of how you niche organically. Um, you can make some like top line decisions, like from the get go to be like, you know what, we're only going to do marketing, but you don't know like for who or what just yet. And then it can start to niche down a bit over time. But yeah, when you're first starting out and you don't have a pipeline and you're super referral driven, you kind of got to take what comes through the door. I'm super happy you said that because <laughs> like, <laughs> I agree with you. Um, I, I'm a big fan of like choosing a niche just like naturally, um, letting it happen naturally because I think what whenever people like right out of the gate, they decide that they're going to um, they're going to uh, like, let's just say they have a product and they say and they just started and they say, I'm, I'm going to um, uh, let's just say they have like a yoga product or whatnot. Uh, and then they say, I'm, I'm going to niche down and only deal with, uh, I don't know, women who have dogs. I don't like whatever. Yeah. Um, but then like if they do all their marketing catered to that target market, when in reality, maybe it's like hippie dudes that really love this product. And so they're like just completely missing the mark. And so there's no way to know unless you just like test it out test the market out um, and see who's buying the stuff. And then you can niche down. 
Yeah, I mean, that goes back to like the basics of e-commerce. It's like you got to find product market fit before you start turning on the gas. Yep. Uh, so you got to do some testing. You got to ask people like, hey, this is what we're offering. Do you like it? Do, would you pay money for this? That's actually the key question. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's all about the money. It's all about who, who can hand over the money. <laughs> yeah, anything that's free, someone's going to like it. But when it's there's a dollar sign attached to it, that's when you get the truth. Yeah, that's so true. That, that's what validates a product or service, right? Um, yep. It's like everyone all day long could be like, "Oh yeah, I'll take that if you're offering it for free." But then you put you eat, some even some people you put like one dollar behind it, they're just like, "Oh no, no, no thanks." <laughs> and then it's like, "Okay, uh, that product doesn't work." Or actually, I want to make up a, a really good point <clears throat> that it doesn't. If that were to happen, that doesn't necessarily the product doesn't product or service doesn't work. Maybe you're just not hitting the right market. So that goes back to, to my original point of like, okay, maybe it's just men or women or service providers or, or you know, different target markets. So yeah, it's it. You could have a you could have a winning product, but your offer could be garbage. Like you could be positioning it in the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, you could going after the wrong demo, or just focusing on the features when you should be focusing on the benefits. Yep, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of elements to it. I, I I do appreciate like this talk of niching down. I keep switching back back and forth, you know, for all of our listeners, <laughs> niching, niching. Uh, <laughs> I do appreciate the, this conversation about it because Clay, uh, in, in some previous episodes that will have aired by the time we air this conversation with Chase, you've you've alluded to how powerful it was to um, to niche down not only like to only go after one particular target audience, but also for sake of your processes. Because if you build one process for one kind of customer and one kind of product in one market, then that process becomes infinitely repeatable. Whereas if you're an agency that offers everything to everyone in every market at every price point, it's it's impossible to to repeat those processes that make your business so profitable. Absolutely. It's it's makes things so much easier when you understand who you're trying to sell to because then you can quickly just like turn away people when you know it's going to be a bad fit. Uh, and that's like really what helps with the sales process is like understanding what like what your client avatar would be. And you can quickly tell if it's like, well, this person is, you know, like perfect example for us be like, this is a service business. Like they don't, we don't work with service businesses. We only work with e-commerce businesses. So like you can quickly start to just refer people away uh, and that saves you a headache on like kind of the sales conversation. But then on the delivery, like you are delivering so much faster with processes, like your clients are going to be wowed and it's going to keep them coming back. Yeah. And you're, meanwhile, you're keeping overhead low. Uh, you're keeping all, all of the costs down because people know exactly what it's a well-oiled machine. They know exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Yeah, I mean, if you just want to understand, process equals profits. Period. Yeah, very well said. Mm, that's good. What else? What else are we not tapping into? I mean, we have listeners here who who are have been freelancing for years, trying to figure out how to scale their business. We've had these these people on our coaching calls, and they just can't figure out how to how to take the next step. Like what? Let's talk more about that transition time between being a freelancer and hiring your first few people. Uh, what other things come up aside from hiring, aside from finding your niche? What else comes up and what do we need to address? Imposter syndrome, I think, is something everyone listening deals with. And I can... Forward. Everybody. 
Yeah. Everybody I mean, talking on this show and everybody listening to this yeah. show. Deals yeah. Everyone, yeah. Everyone listening to this is like, wow, this guy's got his stuff together. And I sometimes I still feel it. I'm like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. Uh, you know, it doesn't go away, but you just got to kind of just do the work and believe in yourself and, and kind of get started. It, it all it takes is just a little bit of effort every day to do it. You know, the zero to one is what I always talk about uh, when I'm talking about just getting things started. You just got to get started, honestly. Yeah, imposter. Like so that. Yeah, it's so true. It does never go away. A lot of people think it will. A lot of people think it will. And they'll they'll, they'll make comments like, oh, you know, if I can just like get to this point. Um, I won't, I won't feel, have this feeling anymore because, you know, I'm experiencing this and whatnot, but I'm like, okay, but the reality is, is like, even if you get from, uh, let's just say like someone's at point A and they feel like an imposter syndrome until they get to point B, the fact is, is even at point B, they're still going to feel like uh, they're still going to have imposter syndrome because they're going to feel like they need to get to point C, right? So there's, there's always like more, there's always more, you know? And so like that, that that feeling is always there. I get it for sure. For yeah, sure. I mean, I have listened to this podcast a bunch and I'm sure I was like, you know, it'd be cool to be on that podcast one day. And then I'll be, you know, I, I'll made it when I'm on the, I'm on the podcast right now. Tomorrow I'm going to get an email that makes me feel like an idiot. And I'm going to like, have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you see this in, in all, all industries, all walks of life. Like people deal with imposter syndrome feeling like, like what, why should I, who am I to say this or do this or build this thing? Um, I, I love the, it's maybe a bit cliche, but I love that, that quote by Steve Jobs. That's something like everything that you call life is, was invented or, or made up or created by people no smarter than you are. Um, and you have the influence to, to change it. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, but you, you are as capable as most of the people around you and you can, you can build the things that you want to build in your world. Absolutely. It's just, it's a lot easier once you just kind of get going and just understand like you're going to make mistakes. We've made so many mistakes, spent money on really dumb things. Uh, but you know, it's a lot, it's a, you know, you're just learning. Okay. I love that. So imposter syndrome, what else comes up? What are, what are some other hurdles that people face as they go from freelancer to founder? Probably, um, how to like position their offering. And that's something that we also are, are always playing with. And, you know, it comes back to me with marketing sales, but, uh, I would say what makes a sales conversation go a lot smoother is if you have a clear and concise next step. Um, so if you're talking, we're talking about process and like kind of understanding your target demographic and who you're going after with like clientele, having a clear offer after that initial conversation where you, uh, are just like understanding if they're a serial killer or not. Like after that conversation, you, know, you should have a clear next step. <laughs> and and what I mean, what should that next step? Where should that take you? Uh, there's there's a few ways to do it. Uh, I'm a big fan of kind of what Brennan Dunn proposes. You know, with road mapping, you can call it whatever you want. Uh, but you know, like a small chunk, like a trial offer, it should definitely be paid. Um, you know, the bigger you get, the more stuff you can give away for free if you're talking about bigger clients. But, you know, if you're going from freelance to founder, you should probably have like a, an initial engagement that's, you know, say you're doing paid ads and it should be like some audit and strategy thing. You know, it's a couple bucks just to make sure that like these people respect your time and you can't give this away for free because there's value behind it. Understanding. Oh, man, I the whole concept of all the stuff you give away for free when you're such a young entrepreneur is insane. I, I, that just like came out of this. I don't know. 
<laughs> what do you mean? Say more. Like when, like when you, when you're willing to just give up so much time and effort and and oh, just charge for everything. Holy man! If I could go kick my own butt, like this, the thing, the things we would just give away for free to try to win business. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's insane. It, you got to start charging for almost everything. It's the value, like just your conversations and the strategy that you're giving away to people, especially when you start niching down and you're like, oh, I've experienced that problem and solved it for this client. Like n- that knowledge is powerful. That's so interesting because that goes, I think, hand in hand with this imposter syndrome thing, right? Like we convince ourselves that we are imposters. And so therefore we have to, we feel like we have to convince our clients that we know what we're talking about. And, and so we do that by giving away free advice, free coaching, a free consultation, maybe even part of our, what we ultimately sell as a product for free all before they ever agree to pay us anything. And that can be a real time suck, a real energy suck. Uh, it can it can really pull you down and and waste a lot of your effort and time as you're trying to grow your your small business. Yeah, you want to know what's more powerful than having the answer is saying I don't know. Then they like then they believe you. They're like, mm-hmm. wow, this guy's yeah. honest. That's transparency, right? Yeah. Oh it's man. Like, uh, you, yeah. Go if ahead. Just, if you're just pulling all the answers, you know, you have all the answers. It it can be it almost seem uh un, it can almost seem unreal. You know, too good to too be, good to be like, true. Yeah. yeah, it's too good to be true. But when you're like, I don't have that answer for you. Let me get back to you. Let's do a little bit of research. Let me ask someone on my team who's smarter. Like those are those are the questions, the answers to those questions that are going to actually get people to come back and want to talk to you because you're being honest and you have shown a fault originally. Transparency is like is uh, it works on both sides, right? It works with like with the with prospects and clients, um, but it also works with your team, right? If you're like transparent with your team, then retention's super high. So mm-hmm. I think I think transparency uh, on both sides of the the table there it's like um, just increases retention all the way around. Uh, at least that's yeah, that's my experience. So it sounds like that's what you you've experienced too. Yeah, I mean, we're we're an open book over here. There's nothing really to hide from your team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you if you think your team is going to run away with your clients, you have probably other issues going on. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about you, but like um I was so transparent with my team um and early on in the days like when I hired my first like couple of employees and I'm like here's my paycheck. It's like literally zero. You know, like I don't get paid anything and then when I in in uh, when I actually did start getting paid, my first paycheck was a thousand dollars a month. Like I I could go work at McDonald's and get paid more money for less <laughs> hours. And I'm like, I just want you guys to see that this is what I'm working hard for, and this is what I get paid right now. <laughs> and so I, I I think by doing that for me, um, it it created like a. Uh, almost like the, my, the team was just like in it with me, you know? And so like, they, they stuck around, they stuck around. So yeah, hey, I mean, that, that's how I did it. You know, like I was just like, here are my books. Like this is how much I'm making. <laughs> yeah. We're an open book business too. Like every month you're like, this is how much money we made. And this is how much money we spent. It's a lot <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. yeah. It's, so I'm, I, that's actually a good point because, um, uh, a lot of people will, even if you open books and, and you're like, oh yeah, you know, I make uh, like say $30,000 a month in revenue. Like people don't understand that it might cost like, you know, 15 or 20,000 to run it, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, that's, that's a lot different than $30,000 in revenue. So, 
that's what a lot of people don't understand that. And it's good to, it's good to, to show that. I mean, that is the reality of being a founder, right? Like uh, a lot of freelancers, up and coming freelancers who want to scale their business. Yeah. They, they read these income reports or whatever they hear about a a business doing, you know, a million dollars or $10 million a year. And it's like, wow, that'd be incredible. But yeah, it takes, you know, half of that or, or two thirds of that, depending on your, your business model and depending on how good you are at, at maintaining your profit margin, like it can take a lot to run a company of the size you're thinking of. And so it's not all just sunshine and rainbows necessarily in terms of, of raking in the cash if you do achieve that kind of founder status. Yeah. Uh, the two most expensive things uh, when you're kind of talking about expenses. So I guess, you know, anyone listening to this and they're thinking about taking the next step and like hiring team members or, or moving towards an agency, the most expensive thing for you every month is going to be the salaries for your contractors or Hands for down, your team yeah. members. Yep. It's going to Keeping be the most... Capital. Yeah, it's going to be the most expensive thing. Um, I would say most people listening are probably going to go remote with their agencies, which is like, we have had zero issues being fully remote as an agency ever. People say they want to meet in person. We just say no. Like uh, It's just, it doesn't matter anymore. And it, it's definitely now it doesn't matter at all anymore. Uh, fully remote's like the new cool thing. Uh, but yeah, like <laughs> yeah. human capital is going to be the most expensive thing. And then honestly, subscription software sucks, but it's, you need it. Yes. Yeah. I spend a chunk in software and I'm just like, it's a, it's like a, it's a, <laughs> it's a bit ironic. Um, because for me in any way, because I'm, I'm a big, uh, um, preacher on, okay, your business needs to be built on uh, monthly recurring revenue. Right. But then I turn around and I'm like, I hate paying all this monthly subscription <laughs> software fees. And I'm like, uh, but you pay it. I mean, that's why I you pay it. it is because, pay it. Yeah, we all pay it. And that's why we preach a recurring model is because you can predict your revenue. Um, yeah. Instead of wondering next month if you're going to hit your goals or whatever, you know, at least in part, you can expect more or less what you're, what you're going to, that allows you to hire more or at least know if you can hire. It allows you to make other purchasing decisions. If you know what you're going to make next month, then you can plan, you can plan to scale your business. Otherwise, I mean, I, I know I'm a, like kicking a dead horse here, but if you're in the feast famine roller coaster, it's impossible to scale. You just, you don't have the predictability or reliability to do anything that you have to do to scale your business. Yeah. And that's a good little segue into talking about something that a lot of these listeners might be dealing with. And it's like, should I do projects or should I do retainers? Hmm. And the correct answer is you should figure your retainer stuff out first. And then projects on top of that are just, you know, more money. Great. Uh, you know, yeah. having that predictability is a lot. It, it's good. It can keep the lights on at times. Yeah. I mean, that's when my business pivoted. I, I feel like, uh, Clay, from your story, that's when that's when your business really started to click and make sense. 100%. Is when you yeah. figure out, like, how can I get consistent revenue month over month um, and not wonder where my next paycheck's coming from? Well, it just, it just like, it, it, it makes the... Uh... Uh, it, it solves the problem of sales slumps, right? And so like if uh, if you are not built on a recurring revenue model, then you require on brand new sales every single month. Otherwise, you are not getting any revenue uh, in that month, right? But if you are on a monthly recurring revenue model and you're getting paid, uh, say, you know, $10,000 a month, but like you have a sales slump of, two months, like if it's been a couple of months where you you haven't made a sale yet, 
guess what? You still made $10,000 a month in those two months where you had a sales slump. So that's, and and going to what Preston said, it's like before it's, it's a lot easier to plan, plan out your, um, your expansion and how to scale your business. So, because you know how much money's coming in. Yeah. You can pay your people, you know, that you're so worried about, uh, bringing on, you can feel more confident in bringing on people because you know, you can pay them. It, that you just sleep a lot better at night knowing what to expect next month. And then it's not to say that the roller coaster goes away completely. Like we still have months that are higher than others, but, but I know that the roller coaster is going to bottom out at like, for example, in your example, Clay, in that, that $10,000 amount, right? Like the roller coaster won't bottom out at zero. I'm not going to have a month where I have absolutely zero revenue. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's going to bottom out at you know 10k or whatever your your specific number is. But also something people don't realize is how expensive, not necessarily like monetarily, but in a time commitment, it is to onboard a new client properly. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. That's so getting, true. Getting up to speed, you know, it's time which we can't make more time. It's impossible, and the time commitment to properly onboard a client is you know something you have to do. You know, you have to learn about their unique situations. Like if you're talking about marketing, you got to understand their strategies and like audit crap. You know, if we're talking about a project, you got to understand like, you know, how's this website work now? Like what's the technology that's powering it? Like you got to learn stuff and that takes time. And so if you're constantly selling projects, like you just, you can't make that more efficient. It just, that, that is time that you have to invest. And I'm, I'm full of uh, cliche business sayings, I guess, but, but there's, there's that idea that it's, far more lucrative and far easier to keep a customer than to find a new customer. I think that speaks to what you're talking about here, which is like, it's way easier to keep someone on retainer or, or on some other recurring model than it is to onboard a brand new client or 10 brand new clients every month to get the same amount. Of I always give the, uh, the analogy of, uh, uh, of a cup. So like if you, you know, the cup is like your pipeline and then it, as you fill up the cup with water and then when the water uh, goes up to the top and starts spilling over the edge, that's when that's when you, when new clients, uh, when prospects become new clients. Um, so you all you always have to be filling up the cup. Right. So like uh, if you fill if you, as you pour the water, like the, in this analogy, pouring the water is like your marketing and sales uh, strategies. If you stop that and you stop, that means you stop pouring the water, which means the water stops going to the top. Right. Um, and so I, I think it's a lot harder because like in this analogy, you, you really need to have multiple stream, multiple strategies, which means you're you're pouring uh, more than one pitcher of water into the cup. Um, and, you know, like if you have like eight arms, you know, that's that you can do that. But what I what I always say is it's yeah, it's good. You, you always need to be filling up this this. Uh, this cup, but just imagine in this analogy that there is a hole in the bottom of this cup. And so like you're, you're, you are, you know, everybody loses clients. Everybody does at some point or another. And so that all depends on how big this hole is. If the hole is like super big, um, then you're, you're losing clients left and right. But uh, what I always say in this analogy, it's a lot easier to plug the hole and make sure retention is high versus like trying to come up with new strategies that get poured into the cup. And so, cause like some strategies you'll completely miss the cup. And so, and then they don't work. And so you like spend a lot of time doing that, but it's just a lot easier just to take your finger and plug the hole. So. Yeah. Particularly if you already have the metaphorical water pouring into the cup on a, on a steady basis, like 
that's if you have if you've set up a process where that's not going to go away then it is a lot easier to repair the the hole meaning improve retention um then you have the best of both worlds yeah if churn is natural and honestly you should be churning clients like every like every year you should be probably trimming the lowest paying clients to make room for higher paying clients as you scale your business you know you're de- you're delivering a better product year over year uh you're you're just naturally getting better so your clients should respect that with your fees it goes without saying you should be raising your fees every year um but yeah if you're not you know if your churn is super high you probably have a delivery problem instead of like you know clients being the problem you're probably not giving a good work product to them well it's ex- it's ex- expectations right like what what I say is like you can have a really bad product, but give people the expectation like this is a this is a really cheap a cheap product, <laughs> you know, uh, and so like if that's the case, if you if you say I, I didn't mean to say bad like let's just say it's it's cheap um, value budget yeah those are yeah bad yeah terms. yeah a value yeah if you get if, so like so you have value product uh, versus a premium product right it's okay to have a value product. There is a market out there for people who have value uh, services because there, there's there's people that want to buy that and they buy nothing but that. Um, and there's people that just want premium stuff, right? But at the beginning, when you sell this stuff, it's all about expectations. Like what, like what did that client expect? Did they buy a value product, but they were expecting a premium one? Then it's you didn't meet the expectations, which means... Uh, they're they're not going to be happy. But if you gave them the expectation that this is a value uh, service, um, a less expensive service, right? Then expectations are met, and then they are still happy. So to me, it's all about expectations. Yeah, you got to be setting the proper expectations in the sales conversation and letting them know what to expect. And then you have to have a rock solid onboarding. Uh, scenario like you got to wow them with whatever you're selling you know it can be oh let's talk about that all right yeah let's get into it i mean like what do you do what what's a good onboarding process our process is uh you know sign some stuff boring uh you know getting the payment set up uh and then we have a kickoff call they get onboarded with a lot of documentation. We ask a million questions. They're, all those forms are processed out. We got them all like you know set up, and we are sending them stuff. There's some automations in place, so there's a lot of communication. On uh, the second they decide to give us money, th- it feels like all eyes are on them. Makes them feel welcome. Um, back to setting expectations. We have a welcome packet that everyone gets, and we make them sign it. Uh, that sets a lot of expectations, not around the project, but around working with us and what they should expect. For example, working hours, holidays that we're not going to be in, other weird jazz, like it's all in there. So they can understand like what it's like to work with an agency like us, specifically us. It's written for us. Um, yeah, that's that's some of the elements. But then there's like the kickoff call and discovery. You know, we're getting into the weeds and we're asking questions that hopefully no one else has ever asked because that's when they realize that, wow, these guys are the real deal. Yeah, that's good. That's good to have a process because like that, that way your entire team knows, okay, they just did this and now here, this is what's next, right? And then they did that and here's what's next. So it's like, it's the same thing. It's efficiency, right? It's efficiency. So just what I, I like you're saying earlier, uh, process equals profits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just it's, you need to have a great, that if you set 
essentially when they give you decide to give you money, that's the most pivotal moment. If you wow them right then, you're going to keep them for a lot longer. Yeah. So like this is a so back on that expectations um, kind of chat that I was uh, that we just talked about. Um, I think it goes the other way too, right? So if if a client is expecting one thing in the onboarding process, but then you do something extra, then like I, I feel like you would almost like have them for life. You know, as long as you do a good job with with what they bought, right? Um, then if you do like one of the things that I I uh, I like to do is so if a client is uh, if they're a super premium client and uh, you know they pay me a lot of money. Um, then what I do is I go do I go do a little bit of stalking on their social media and see what they like to do. Um, and so if they if they like, for example, if they like to golf. So in addition to all the normal uh, onboarding stuff that everybody should be doing, like the paperwork, expectations, yada, yada, like I'll go and include a premium set of golf balls. Right. If they're a golfer. And so like that's just something extra that they were not expecting. And then um the fact is, is that, okay, in their mind, they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to stay with these guys for a while unless they screw up. Yeah. Gifting is powerful. Uh, it's, it's definitely something that you can kind of keep into your repertoire. And there's yeah. something, there's something to be said with screwing up during that onboarding process. It's actually kind of a unique opportunity for you to win a client for life. You go above and beyond solving a screw up in the first 30 days, you're going to keep them forever. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's all about reaction time, right? Yeah, I mean, if you screw up and it just goes off the rails, there are going to be bad referrals from them, <laughs> or no referrals, probably. Uh, that I mean, that comes back to what we've talked about quite a bit, which is transparency, right? If you just own a mistake, you say, look, we made a mistake, but here's what we've done to fix it. Uh, yeah, that can that can be extremely powerful, particularly in the, in the first, you know, weeks or months that you might have a client. Yeah, and it's even it just back to transparency. Like, just keep your client apprised on what's going on. You know, if if timelines are getting shaky, tell them why. Uh, it it's just being open and, and transparent is way better than coming in at the eleventh hour and saying, "Yeah, this isn't launching." Right. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. Well, I think this has been a very insightful conversation. Um, you know, talking with someone, having really three people on the air who have gone from that freelancer to founder. Uh, through that process. But Chase, particularly, uh, it was fun to dive into your story a bit and your personal experiences growing your agency. We appreciate you taking the time today, man. Uh, thanks. This was really fun. Yeah, yeah it was absolutely. a lot of fun. Tell, tell people where they can uh, where they can find you, learn more about you and your business. Absolutely. So uh, I am the co-founder at Electric Eye. That's electriceye.io, named after the Judas Priest song. Uh, I'm also a podcast host myself. Uh, you can listen to me talk about e-commerce stuff on the Honest E-commerce podcast. Uh, yeah, and if you got a Shopify brand or know someone that needs help with Shopify design, dev, marketing, you can hit us up. It'd be great. Excellent. Thanks again for taking time today, Chase. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. See ya. Freelance to Founder is produced by the team at Millo. Visit millo.co to level up your freelancing. And Dripify. Visit getdripify.com to become a bad A in business. Freelance to Founder is also part of the Podglomerate. You can check out more amazing podcasts at thepodglomerate.com.
The theme music for this show was produced by Joaquin Carude. You can catch past episodes at FreelanceToFounder.com or by searching Freelance to Founder in your favorite podcast player. While you're at it, we'd love an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. Until next time, see ya. Thank you.